0: Hi, I'm Wyatt and I'm Grace and you're listening to our dad and your host of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast.
1: What's up guys? Welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution podcast. I'm your host Sean Moore and I'm real excited about our guest today. A topic that is very, very important for all of us investors is, how are we gonna finance our investments? And I've got Nate Borgie from The Lender joining us, talking about some specialized financing solutions that they offer that investors should be very, very aware of, and hopefully you can utilize these. So Nate, thanks for joining me, and I'm excited about our conversation today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. Absolutely, so, so the two types of financing. So one, we've got a lot of people that are new to investing, we assume that really traditional conventional type loans are are all that's available to us as investors and that's not the case and we're going to introduce and, and maybe some of you that are brand new to investing these are going to be an introduction to some different loan products that maybe you're not even aware of those of you that are lenders or excuse me lenders are that are investors it will be some clarity on some products that you're maybe familiar with but there might be a little bit different the way you can access them. And we're going to talk about DSCR loans and bank statement loans for us investors as we start to build and scale our portfolio. So, Nate, before we start, let's um, tell a little bit about the lender. Give us a little bit of background there. And then let's dive into, if you would, kind of explaining these different loan products that are different and how they're different than conventional products. And then we're going to dive into some real details. So I just wanted to, like, dive right in.
0: Yeah, sure. Um so let's start with the lender. So we're a direct lender mortgage banker. I run the retail division for the company, which that just means that we deal directly with the consumer. Um, we are focused on what is called in the industry, non-QM loan products. And all of that means is that it's just loan products that are outside of the normal traditional qualifying Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, VA. So these loan products are, they've been around for a long time, um, and that they focus on qualifying the borrower based on different criteria than just your personal tax returns, W-2s, pay stubs. Yeah. Um, and the company has developed these products over, uh, we, uh, we started the company in 2018, and so we have a long track record of developing these products and uh, seeing success in the market.
1: Yeah. And I think that that's important for those of you listening to understand that, you know, there's a lot of people who offer these types of products. The lender and Nate and your guys' team, you specialize in this, right? You don't focus outside of these non-QM products. And which the reason that that's important is because you guys really understand the nuances of these of these types of loan products when we start to dive into as investors, because there's a lot of people who offer them. And there's a lot of people who broker these types of these types of loan products out, and but they don't really understand them because it's not obviously the, the bulk of their business. A lot of people it comes from traditional financing. That's not the case with you guys. I think that's an important uh, an important note to make as we start to talk about this. Is you guys really understand what you're doing in these types of products in the, in this arena?
0: Yeah, I think it's also important to note that. Um, just because a loan is labeled a DSCR loan, so say for example, one DSCR loan from X Y lender to the lender could be very very different. Yeah, um, and we'll get into that.
1: Yeah, yeah, awesome. Well, let's let's define and talk about what DSCR loans are. And how they can benefit investors, how we can use them to build our portfolio, why they're so popular. I, I personally have a couple of DSCR loans on different properties in my portfolio, and they're, they're a phenomenal tool to help you scale and build your portfolio.
0: Yeah, sure. So DSCR, so we love acronyms in the mortgage world, um, debt service coverage ratio. So all that means is that the, what we're looking at is does the rent cash flow the monthly rents cover your mortgage payment principal interest taxes and insurance and as long as it covers the the mortgage payment one to one then you qualify from an income perspective so again we're not looking at tax returns W twos pay stubs we're underwriting the property itself not the borrower yeah and I think is- that's the most-
1: Thing to understand with a DSCR loan, huge, right? It's a, that's huge. Like there's so many of us that eventually, with conventional financing, doesn't really matter how much money you make. If you continue to scale, you're going to hit the debt. Um, your your debt to income ratio is going to at some point get get capped out because you can only buy so much and qualify so much with your own personal income. A DSCR loan allows you to use this asset and to qualify for the income income qualifications of the loan which is huge right we're buying income producing properties and so if we can use the income that these properties are producing to qualify on the loan side of that 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 allows us to scale you know as long as we have good credit and we've got the money to put down you know it allows us to scale indefinitely right i mean are there with the lender and i another point that you made that i want to back up just just quickly on is tr- in traditional conventional type loans The products themselves are not hugely different as far as maybe the lenders might be a little bit different. The service you get, the relationships you have, all those things might be different. But the products themselves on the conventional side are not very different. A DSCR loan from the lender to bank A, B, C, or D, they can all be very, very different. And because... They're they're a non-QM type of a product, and the banks that are are offering these loans, they're more of a portfolio product, and they can have different qualifications. So just because you looked into a DSCR loan with one company, it doesn't mean that that's going to be the same result or the same qualifications at another company. Nate, you just mentioned a one-to-one ratio. Is that where you guys are at right now? There's a lot of companies that are at a 1.25, 1.35 I've heard on debt service coverage on that ratio. And so that, that little, that might sound like a little difference. That's a big difference from lender to lender.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that to understand it, it's in traditional loan products, you have loan guidelines and those loan guides are set by the agency, whether that's Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, FHA, those loan guidelines are basically the same throughout the industry. So you're not gonna get much difference in the way that a loan is underwritten from one company to another. With non-QM, the company itself, uh, like with us as a lender, being a direct lender, we write our own guidelines. So while they're structurally the same, um, in qualifying, being that we're taking rents to qualify rather than uh, personal income, the way that we look at the nuances of the loan qualification are very, very different. So to your point on the debt to income or on the DSCR. So we have really three different tiers of DSCR. We have a zero DSCR, which you can qualify for a DSCR loan without showing any rents. That comes into play when there's a, a property that's unique that maybe it doesn't have comps and there's no rental comps to, to give us a DSCR ratio. We have guidelines that allow us to originate that loan product, um, being that that's a, a little bit more down payment, a little bit higher interest rate, obviously, because there's no rents to qualify. We have the standard one-to-one ratio that we just went over so rents equal mortgage payment. Yep. And then we have a next tier up at 1.25 that allows you for a little less down payment um, qualification where the DSCR is outperforming the market.
1: Yeah. That's awesome. And that's huge. And and I can speak from personal experience that being able to have those different options, if you have a if you have a property that that has the potential to outperform the market and get that, you know, maybe you're in a market that's a little bit more investable than another market, right? The acquisition prices are low compared to the revenue it can generate. And you're hitting that 1.25 or above uh, debt uh, ratio there. Then all of a sudden you can get, I'm assuming like lower downs, better interest rates, those types of things come into place. You get better terms on the loan, right? And that's, that's big to be able to look at those different options because as an investor, not every single market, not every property is going to perform the exact same. And so having those different tiers is huge.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Especially in the short-term rental space. You know, you, we, we have our guidelines. We're unique in the way that we write our own guidelines and we made a concerted effort to really address short-term rentals head on. And so what I mean by that is that a lot of companies um, say they will finance short-term rentals with DSCR loans. And, and really what they're doing is they're utilizing a zero DSCR. So they're not really looking at the short-term rents. Yeah. They're doing the loan based on no rents, yeah. right? And, and uh, using that to promote a short-term rental DSCR. What we've done is that we've gone directly to our investors that we've worked with for, you know, since 2018 And we've written guidelines specifically to the STR space, which is unique, um, unique uh, from a lending perspective.
1: Yeah, that's that's another big key point is DSCR loans have been around for a long time. Right. They're, they're, They're not a it's not necessarily a new concept. On the long-term rentals, there's a lot of people who have offered DSCR loans on long-term rentals, and then as short-term rentals have exploded onto the scene and gotten very, very popular and now become a very mainstream asset class, a lot of people are saying, oh, yeah, we'll do DSCR loans, but I've even I've even talked to a few DSCR lenders that say, yeah, we, we'll do them on short-term rentals, but they use long-term rents. Well, that that doesn't that doesn't work right They're They're different. It's a different use of the property. So that doesn't necessarily always underwrite very well. And so you guys are saying you're looking at it specifically as short term rentals, which is which I love. Right. That's when when we originally started chatting and talking and you have become a preferred lender inside of our mastermind group and outside. I mean, that was one of the key factors that that was important to me is that you guys are looking at this now as its own asset class. You've written you've written underwriting guidelines for short-term rentals specifically instead of just saying, okay, yes, we do DSCR loans. Oh, yeah, we'll, we'll throw it in there in kind of the regular pool of the long-term rentals and everything else because a lot of short-term rental markets don't underwrite as long-term rents.
0: Oh, I mean, I would say the majority. Yeah. It's very really h- hard to find a short-term rental that's going to underwrite on long-term rents. Um, yeah. yeah. We, they just don't perform the same. Right. So I think that it's a it's a good – you know, segue just to you know, have people understand from an underwriting perspective, because I think it's important to understand why, what we are actually looking at for short-term rentals. And so we have a, a unique approach where we can really look at it three different ways. Um, we can look at if it is an existing short-term rental, we can use those rents that were received on that short-term rental in order to underwrite it. That usually doesn't happen very often in a purchase because you're normally in a purchase, you're looking to convert right. uh, uh, something that's not a short-term rental into a, a high-performing short-term rental. Um, the best approach and what we find the most success in is that we're able to use a, da- a data aggregator like AirDNA mm-hmm. um, or DataRaboo, and we can use their rental projections to underwrite the DSCR. So what does that mean? Right. So we pull an air DNA report, let's say on a property. As long as we have a one to one ratio on those gross rents over a 12 month period, we do take a 20% haircut to account for expenses. So gross rents minus 20%. Okay. As long as we have that one to one. We also need a couple other things. A market grade has to be uh, what's called a 60 or better, if you're looking at air DNA, for example. Um, and we have to have a uh, five comps, right? If we meet those criteria, which more than more than likely we're going to, then we can use that air DNA report along with an appraisal, and we don't need a, a 1007, with what it's called, a yeah. rent survey from the appraiser right? So that's unique in the space is using that uh, short-term rental data in order to underwrite the property. Now, if that doesn't work for whatever reason, maybe there's not enough comps or the market grade is slightly worse than a 60, we will get a 10.07 from the appraiser. That's just that a 10.07 is just another word for a rent survey. So the appraiser does the appraisal on the property at the same time they do a rent survey. But what we do is that we provide the short-term rental comps to the appraiser to help them do their job and, and then put the short-term rental income on that 1007 in order to underwrite it or the, the rent survey. So, so we found a lot of success in that. Appraisers love that we help them find the comparables right. that are in the area. And, uh, and that helps us move through the
1: underwriting process pretty smoothly. That's awesome. And can, can you, because this is a question we get asked all the time, is um, like on the terms, like what is a normal, and I know the rates are fluctuating all the time. So we won't talk about rates because this podcast is going to live for a long time on, on, the, you know, on, the, on the airwaves, right? And so, but as far as, as far as down payments, like is there a range of down payments that people can expect when they go look at DSCR loans?
0: Yeah, so, um, so we offer as little as 15% down. OK, uh, so 15 percent down, I would say that typically 20 percent down is really, really where you're going to be the most of the yeah. time in order for the to DSCR. Uh, so somewhere between the 15 to 25 range, I would say, is what we see the most.
1: Yeah. And, and what about. How much, because obviously with these types of products, you're going to have a little higher down and you're going to have a higher interest rate. Is there a typical spread between what like kind of conventional rates are and then the DSCR kind of lender products? Is there a normal spread between that? Like, is it a point, point and a half higher? Like what is a what is a typical spread between conventional rates and, and a DSCR type loan?
0: You know what, Sean, it's um, funny. It's It's been narrowing. So I would say typically about 1% in rate. If you're looking at a second home product yeah. be, because of where the market's at right now. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not, a, it's not as big of a spread as people might think.
1: Right. And I've always said, like, I've always said plan on 20, 25% down and about a point to a point and a half higher on rates than, than you would a second, second loan product. But I, I've been seeing the same thing. It seems like that gap is narrowing. And so, yeah, it, it, and I mean, and honestly, if you can get in a 15 or 20% down, you know that's a that's a good down payment, anyways. I know that there are some second home loan products in the ten percent down range, but again, you're yeah. going to be limited on how many of those types of products you're going to be able to get, and they're full doc loans, right? You got to be able to qualify, and that property's not going to qualify. You mentioned before there's different ways to look at comps, and in up to, to today, we haven't seen a lot of properties that are trading re, reselling as short term rentals, and you're using the existing revenue, right? But mm-hmm. some of them that are selling that are that have existing revenue, what if it's underperforming? What if like, because we buy properties that in there, you know, and they're great properties, they're in good markets, they're set up, you know, beautifully, and the, the person doesn't know how to market it or they're not, they're just underperforming. Are you forced to use the existing rental history or can you look at more of what those projections look like on the data aggregators?
0: yeah yeah great question um no so if it if the market rents don't perform then we don't we don't use them we don't look at them, and in that case, we would defer back to the either the air dna report or the ten o seven the rent survey
1: gotcha so you kind of you do have the ability to use kind of whatever one is more favorable as far as revenue and and i'm assuming this the the opposite is true what if you have a pr- property that's Performing really, really well and has a really good history, but the revenue projections are lower on those data aggregators. You can go. You, I'm assuming you could look at the the revenue the revenue that it's actually generating.
0: Yeah, spot on.
1: Yeah, awesome. That's that's awesome. And so, anything else? Like, how do like tell me like, you know, from just as a, we're talking about these loan products, what are some, I know you guys work with a lot of investors and, and I've got some stories of how we utilize these types of loans to scale our portfolio, but maybe, maybe from your perspective and knowing, you know, how investors are tapping into these products, like what is, like, why would an investor be interested in this versus other, other types of products?
0: Yeah. Uh, so many reasons. So let's start with, First, the actual pr- the property type, right? So we can finance up to eight units. So there's one product for one to four unit DSCR. There's another product for five to eight unit DSCR. Um, condo tells mm. we can finance condo tells uh, rural properties, properties that um, maybe uh, uh, don't meet the maximum acreage limits of second home. Um, we can finance um, non-warrantable condos, which you run into a lot in the short-term rental space, especially if you're looking in the Southeast. Yeah. Um, and so I'd say property type uh, as well as a couple other things. So we can close in an LLC, which with DSCR is highly advantageous for investors, especially the ones who own multiple properties yeah. So you, you do still have to um, personally guarantee the loan, but you can close and take title in an LLC. There is no max number of finance properties. So with Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, you have a max of 10 finance mm-hmm. properties. We don't have a, a max here. It's really a business purpose loan created for investors. Um, I think those were those are some of the highlights of what investors typically ask for. Maybe maybe something else would be like uh, interest-only payments in order to maximize cash flow, uh, especially in the market and what, what we're dealing with right now. With you know, hopefully the the we've seen the highest rates like you mentioned earlier, and we've, we're starting to see signs that rates are coming down. But I think industry wide, most experts. Uh, see a refinance event in the next 12 to 24 months, whatever the timeline might be. And so we can structure the loan with knowing that, you know, we're going to be looking at a refinance event in two years. So we want to structure the loan accordingly, yeah. right? So we want to give an interest only payment, maximize cash flow, knowing that, you know, we're going to come out of this loan eventually.
1: Awesome. Awesome. Another thing that I know that you guys are doing a little bit different um, is allowing uh, the maximum allow allowable seller concessions is gone up. Yeah. Right. And that that's a that's a big thing right now to either buy down your prepayments, your interest rates, whatever it is, to be able to, to allow the seller to contribute more toward some of those, you know, closing costs and and buying down some of those rates. Right.
0: Yeah, we're advising all of our clients in their negotiations to try to maximize the seller credit. So the concessions typically on a non-QM loan are gonna be between three and 4%. We have in our guidelines where we allow up to six. And so to your point that exactly, that's exactly what we wanna do is we wanna get that six. We wanna use that to minimize cash out of pocket, buy down prepayment penalties, and prepare for the refinance event in the next couple of years.
1: Right. What about, and I know you guys have, and maybe it's not across the board on every product, but I, I, I believe you guys have a 40 year interest only type of an option, like a 40 year amortization. Is that because it, it, again, helps maximize cash flow? right? When you sure. start to look at that, I'm just curious, is that something that you see as that is going to grow in popularity as amortizing over a longer period?
0: You know, I think that you would probably I think from the consumer standpoint, the longer they can amortize the loan, the better. This these loans are a vehicle to grow wealth through appreciation, yeah. not necessarily pay down debt. I'm sure all your all your um membership knows that. Yeah. So it's it comes down to the investor. So 40 years is the longest that I've seen, and we do have quite a people take advantage of that, along with the interest only option.
1: Is that available on all the products we're talking about, or is it, are they specific products and and different requirements?
0: Uh, It's available on the DSCR loan product.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, let's, let's like, uh, so we've been talking about the, the DSCR, but another thing that a lot of people are, not aware of is available is the bank statement loans and what those look like. And so, can we shift gears a little bit and and talk sure. a little bit about a bank statement loan, the difference between the two, a DSCR and a bank statement, and, and maybe why and we would consider one versus the other.
0: Yeah, uh, bank statement loans like DSCR have been around for a while, and when you think about it, it makes a lot of sense, right? You're qualifying based on cash flow from self-employed individuals into their bank statements themselves, right? So we're looking at actual income coming in, not tax returns. So what? how bank statement loan works is that we look at either a 12 or 24-month bank statement uh, deposits going into the bank statement. And we use those, divide those over 12, and that's our income, okay? Now, you do have to be self-employed in order to take advantage of the bank statement loan. But many short-term investors are self-employed because they have a portfolio of short-term rentals right. that they're utilizing. And and um, they, that will suffice for a short-term rental income can be used to qualify for a bank statement loan. Yeah, And, and so, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. You no, know, I was just gonna say, so the advantage of a bank statement loan as compared to a DSCR loan is really in the terms. Okay, so bank statement loan is going to be much closer to, in terms to a traditional uh, second home loan or full doc qualifying loan.
1: So you're because you're using your income instead of just the property's income, right? And, and so, but, and, and I think that it's, and just so you're, so we don't confuse any of you listening, the DSCR loan is not limited to self-employed. The bank statement product that you guys offer is limited to self-employed because it's really built for them, right? It's built for self-employed because they know, hey, listen, we've got actual income coming in. Um, do you care at all about what's going out, or do you just look at deposits? Or are you looking at the the everything coming out as well? Like, are you looking at? You're not looking at net income necessarily. You're looking at just actual gross income coming in.
0: Yeah, correct. Yeah, we we give. Um, there's a CPA that provides an expense factor. For the bank statement loan, and so we do use an expense factor in qualifying, but we're not looking at actual uh, outgoing uh, cash coming out of the bank statements. We're looking at incoming deposits to determine income.
1: And are these only available for investment products, or can you do you guys offer the bank statement loans for personal for regular home? Like if I wanted to buy a personal residence as well, because DSCR is limited. You can't, you, you have to have that, that has to be an investment product, obviously, because if you're using it now, all of a sudden it doesn't have any income coming in. Right. So by, yeah. by definition, the DSCR doesn't work as a primary resident. Does the bank statement loan work as a primary?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. yeah um, and we do a lot of second home bank statement uh, loans as well. Yeah. So, kind of I mean, just kind of in line with the f- traditional second home loan from, you know, a uh, full doc qualifying Fannie Mae. Uh, bank statement loan, second home uh, works as well, and so it's <clears throat> we we we've been seeing that uh, an uptick in bank statement loan purchases because of you know the ability to show that income coming through for self-employed you know, borrowers.
1: Yeah, yeah, and and as we so so a couple different products there that a lot of people aren't you know a, a lot of people aren't aware of it. It's it's amazing how many how many times we talk to people and, and I just kind of assume that people understand the the loan products that are out there and available, even on the DSCR or the bank statement, because like you said, those products have been around for a long time. It's just in our world, they haven't been they, There's not a lot of people who have focused specifically on taking these products and tailoring the underwriting to our specific asset class, you know? And so I, I think that that's, it's really exciting to be able to, that you guys are doing that at the lender. Now, one of the big, always a big question mark and always a big talk, talking point for me when I talk to people is what's going on in the market, right? And a lot of the market has to do with the, the interest rates, the banking environment, all these different things. And so how do some of these market trends or what are you guys seeing and how is it going to impact the short-term rental, like even the terms availability? Do you see it having that negative impact? I know that when, when all this, like when rates really shot up, a lot of lenders that were out there saying they did DSR uh, and they, they said, oh, we're going to slow down and we're not going to do it on my short-term rentals. Because to that point earlier, they were just taking a, a long-term product and trying to let, you know, tag on short-term rentals with it. How do you guys feel like the, the market trends are going to impact the availability for these types of products for us as investors?
0: I, you know, what I think that we have a proven track record now, which is great. Over the last three or four years of these loans really performing, and so from our investors that we speak to, we don't see anything changing as far as the guidelines to uh, short-term rentals with our with our products, which is fantastic. Yeah. Um, the market, the market itself is, you know, it's. I love this topic because it's it's such a fun one to talk about, and we you know what we think is going to happen next, and <laughs> it's definitely a hard one to predict, right? So it feels to me like what we're seeing is some of the uh, short-term rentals that aren't performing, people are realizing that and and getting out of that short-term rental for whatever reason may be, um, which I think provides a lot of opportunity for those who are really well adapted to uh, operate short-term rental the right way. Yeah. So a lot of people jumped in two feet and didn't really know what they were doing. And maybe they, you know, it's not, it's not what they do professionally and they didn't spend the time with, uh, you know, going through uh, courses like w- with Vodacy. And so I think there's a lot of opportunity out there now, as far as, you know, interest rates in the market, that's something that I study, you know, daily and, um, And I can tell you that I, we really feel that we've seen the highest of what is going to be for interest rates and that we're on a slow tick down. I mean, the 10 year was, uh, the 10 year note for people who aren't technical is really the kind of the benchmark for what uh, interest rates are based on. And we were at a peak of 5% a few months ago and we're down to 4.3. Yeah. Um, and so. Uh, many people think that we're going to be, you know, another, you know, 1% to 1.5% lower by the, you know, third quarter of next year, uh, especially going into the, uh, you know, presidential election. Yeah. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunities for, again, like we talked about, for a refinance now. When those rates come down, and I'm sure you're you, um, you're you understand this as well as anybody, is that when those rates come down, that's going to be a lot a lot more demand in yeah. the market for people who are going to be ready to pull the trigger on their next purchase. So yeah. I think you know if you can get into a deal now, um, negotiate that six percent seller credit, uh, find something that works. I think you're going to be better off for it come this time next year.
1: Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I talk about this all the time on a monthly webinar that we put on. And it's just I mean, I, I think there's so much pent up demand right now in, in a lot of people sitting and waiting for rates to come down, waiting for rates to come down when they do. I think we're going to see a run on the market like we like like almost maybe like we saw in COVID or maybe even more. and And that's. That's good and bad. It's, you know, all of a sudden now, uh, you know, housing affordability, you, you think it's bad now. House prices are going to skyrocket again because inventory is so low, right? And when demand hits like it, what I believe it will. And I think that, and Nate, maybe maybe correct me if you think I'm, I'm wrong, but I've been saying I actually think that they – the the Fed will try to lower rates gradually. I don't think they're going to just bring them down pretty quick, even if even if the indicators would tell them to do so, I don't think they're gonna I don't think they're gonna bring them down as fast as they raised them, if if that makes sense. Because no. I think part of their consideration is they don't want house prices to skyrocket. Now, those of us, if you buy properties right now, even at a higher rate, we're buying them as investments. It's kind of nice to have that appreciation, right? And so the more assets we can stack right now. We're being very aggressive because there are a lot of operators in the short-term rental game that got in riding the wave the last few years when, you know, anybody who owned the property was making money because it was like having toilet paper during COVID if you owned a short-term rental last couple of years. That was never going to last. And now that that wave is going out, even though demand is strong, there's a lot of operators that make a lot of money, but there's a lot of operators that are struggling and they're putting really good properties on the market and there's not a ton of buyers out there that you have to compete against right now so you can go and and we we're, we're being so aggressive right now i always i always tell people that you know in the game i've been full time investing for 23 years our buying cycles are very cyclical and they're very in when we're buying is when a lot of people start to wait. Well, people started waiting on the sidelines the last year. So we're being super, super aggressive right now because all the indicators are now's a really, really good time to be getting in. When a lot of people are sitting there saying nah I don't really want to get in because the rates, it's the last thing you should be focusing on. Because I did a I went back for uh, all the way back, I think, 1953 or 1952, one of those. And then I did it every 13 years and I showed the rates. And rates were all over the board. They were like, I mean, every, they were up and down and all over the place the whole time between 1953 until now. But what wasn't all over the board was house prices continue to go up every single time. Even when rates jumped, house prices continued to climb. And so did rents and so did revenue. Right. And so it was um, it was interesting to look at what everybody's focusing on is is probably not what they should be focusing on now. Do we does it affect? Our underwriting does it affect our bottom line and the cash flow and everything else? Absolutely, you know. It, I mean, it can't be ignored, but it's a line item on our expense. You know, as a, it, our, our debt service is just an expense that we have to ca- account for as an investor, and we just still need to make sure we're buying quality assets, quality areas. We don't want to buy negative cash flow, but you know, it, it's. Uh, I believe now is a really, really good time to be buying, and these types of products are available for us. And to be yeah. able to start to stack our assets, and and like you said, there's no limit to being able to do that, other than making sure that you have the the funds available for your down payment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with everything everything uh, you just said. I mean, rates, you know, up on an elevator, down on an escalator is yeah. kind of the sentiment, right? Yeah. So I, I agree with you. We we went through a period of a decade of almost you know zero real rates. Yeah. Right. And that's not going to, that's not going to happen again anytime soon. Yeah. So we're going to see a normalization of, of interest rates. Now I do think we're going to see a correction, but like to your, to your point and, and to, to mine down on the escalator. So I think that if you can get in now, I mean, we know supply and demand, Yes. right? There's, yeah. there's the demand isn't going away and the supply is not going to all of a sudden increase. Yeah. And the, so there is no catalyst out there for a you know a 2008 event of you yeah. know um, uh, creating supply through you know some people suddenly having to foreclose. That's not happening. Yeah. So I think that picking your spots right now while people are on the sidelines is is a is a is a great approach.
1: Yeah, I love it. And and we talk about that all the time. I think we both agree that. It's a it's a good time to be thinking about acquisition right now. And uh, and we're actively doing it. That's the that's the game we're playing right now. In fact, I was there's a few different purchases we've been we've been eyeing for a while on um, outside of real estate. And and I just told told all those people they've got to sit and wait those um, because we don't we want to make sure we've got the funds and and resources available for properties as they come available right now, because now is that buying window that we feel like is the time to be buying. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm always in acquisition stage and, and phase. I always tell people I'm always looking for a good deal. We're always looking to add to our portfolio. But there are certain seasons where we're a lot more aggressive. And that right now is one of those seasons because there's a lot of people are waiting because it's going to get a lot harder and more expensive. Even though rates might come down, the properties are going to get a lot more expensive and there's going to be a lot more competition in when, when they do start to come down
0: yeah i mean and we've seen a lot of really cool properties a lot of creative short-term rentals Uh, like i mentioned the you know the four to eight unit product yes a lot of conversions with you know multiple doors um and creating that revenue where people didn't did you know couldn't see that before and so being able to finance those is always fun um we love those those creative properties
1: love it and and that's Again, you know, those of you that are listening and hearing about some of this for the first time, that's very, very unique to the lender. And when I started talking to Nate and and, and their teams over there is the rural properties, unique properties. A lot of times there's a lot of lenders that will tell you, no, we can't do that. Right. The, and and I love that you guys are able to look at this asset class and realize there's a lot of really good potential in those types of properties as well. And help us figure out as an investor how to use the right loan products for the right property types in the right markets and i love that ab- about what you guys are able to do and really understand us as investors and then also understand the products you guys have and how we can use them to build our portfolios and ultimately build that long-term lifestyle financial freedom that we're after and so yeah you know and on that note then Nate so i mean where where can we find you where do we get a hold of you guys what are the next steps if somebody's listening, because I know there's a lot of people out there listening, thinking, hey, I, you know, this is a huge piece of the puzzle is finding the right finance partner and understanding the right products that work for your property goals. So where can they get in touch with you guys and where, you know, what would be the next steps?
0: Yeah, so um, I, we find the best approach in, in really connecting is through a scheduled call. And so we have our calendar links that we use uh, on our website. Um, so I think the best place to go is to our web, website, and um, and obviously I'll I'll give that to you so you can put it in the show yeah. notes for everybody. But it's uh, uh, retailthelender.com. Perfect. And and so if you are interested in scheduling a call, is the best way to do that. And I think it's important to note too that a lot of the underwriting on these loans is done up front and a lot of these properties are unique and they require us to get eyes on them so we have a great process of pre-underwriting the property that you're you might be interested in so you know that the financing is going to be available so you can you know write an offer confidently um, i think that's where a lot of lenders fall shorters. is the you know, the potential buyer doesn't really know if it they can get the financing they need on the property. So um we've we've tried to fix that and uh and make sure that we're we're right on top of that so that everybody knows that if they're writing a contract, that's something that they know they can get the financing on immediately.
1: Love it. And you guys do that on the front end, which is another I, I keep making I don't mean to kinda double you know just kind of beat a dead horse with any of this stuff but that is very unique a lot of dscr lenders that you talk to are like well we can't tell you really anything until we see the property and so you and and a lot of times we're like which you have to see the property to be able to make a confident offer but we have to know that our financing is in place so i like that you guys are allowing us to send it over kind of pre-look at it kind of pre vet it and you know, pre-underwrite it and say yeah this this looks like the boxes are checked the t's are crossed the i's are dotted and we can move forward with this property, which is huge because we want to be confident when we're going in and negotiating these offers that we're going to have the financing in place on the back end.
0: Yeah. I mean, these are all problems that, you know, we, we love the space. This is what, this is our world. This is what we focus on. And we know that that's been a traditionally been a problem. So we've been, you know, working hard, trying to solve that to, you know, time is money. And And, uh, you know, you don't want to put offers and waste people's time if it's not something that's going to work out from a financing perspective.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Nate, tell us the website again where they can go to. And we will put this in the show notes, you guys. But um, give us – tell me the website one more time for the listeners um, where they can book a call.
0: It's retail.thelender.com.
1: Okay. So, retail.thelender.com, guys. We will put that in the show notes. You guys should reach out to Nate and his team. Book a call. Figure out where you're at. What type of product would work best for you and your properties, you know, goals and your financial situation. Everything you got lined up. These guys are awesome. They've got some really good products tailored specifically to us as short-term rental investors, and uh, really know what they're doing. We're very, we're very selective on who we talk to on the lending side. These guys, and, and especially who we bring in on these podcasts, but also inside of our mastermind group. And these guys are right at the top of the list as our recommended partners in our financing section with these types of products. So reach out to them. Nate, any final words, anything that you'd like to anything that we should be looking out for as short term rental investors before we wrap up?
0: Yeah, No, we look forward to talking to you and working through and trying to get some financing that works for everybody to build those portfolios.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And and so, yeah, I know I know we're going to have some excited listeners. And again, this is a big piece of the puzzle and figuring out that right uh, that right loan product. Even if you had an idea of what you were going to use, I I would really highly suggest those of you listening to reach out to Nate and his team at the lender and and see if there's another product that will work better for what you're trying to do. And so, guys, as always, we know how valuable your time is and we appreciate you spending with us. I always ask you two favors at the end of every show. We don't run ads on this. We don't ask you for anything other than these two things. And the one is if you got any value out of the show or you think anybody else would share it with those people and, and uh, help us spread the word. Right. If you have more than 30 seconds, leave us a review. Give us a thumbs up on whatever platform you're listening to or watching this on, whether it's our, our podcast or, or on YouTube. And then the final thing and the most important thing is the number two thing I always ask you is to go pick one thing you can do today start building that life you don't want to take a vacation from. Cheers, my friends.
0: Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Vacation Rental Revolution Podcast. Share this with other people you think need to hear about it. And don't forget to subscribe and leave us a review. Hey, Grace, is there a website? Yes! For more amazing content and expert advice, visit Vodicy.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode.